RNZ News at midday. Good afternoon. I'm Nicola Wright. The government says it'll put more money into the mayoral relief fund for helping the parts of Nelson, Marlborough and Tasman affected by widespread flooding. It's committed $200,000 so far. That helps to pay for immediate relief-like contractors and dredging ahead of the full recovery process. Visiting some of the affected areas this morning, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said she's been talking to the teams on the ground. They're still in the process of assessing damage, working very, very quickly to try and get people safely back into their homes. But it's fair to say this is still just on the cusp of response and recovery stage and we have more weather to come. Further details on how much money will be spent and where it will go will be announced this afternoon. Meanwhile, the Emergency Management Minister will survey parts of Marlborough this afternoon. Karen McAnulty says he'll join Mayor John Leggett and council officials in a helicopter to check out isolated areas and the impact on the roads. If I'm going to be talking to the Mayor and, and sending an assessment to the Prime Minister as to how much support we can give through the Mineral Relief Fund, it'll be a good opportunity to do that and see the damage alongside them. So that'll be my afternoon. Kieran McAnulty says there's no time frame yet for when State Highways 6 and 63 will be reopened. The country's largest insurer says that as of 8 o'clock this morning, it had received 563 claims from people in the Nelson and Tasman regions. IAG, which owns State, AMI, NZI and other brands, says customers are reporting flood damage to homes and vehicles. Assessors have been in both regions since Friday, and IAG expects more claims will be made. Fonterra has acknowledged it could have communicated better with Nelson and Tasman farmers, who were cut off by flooding and forced to dump fresh milk. Because of slips blocking roads, Fonterra's tankers haven't been able to do their regular pickups from about 70 farms. Some farmers have criticised what they say was poor communication over the situation, and Fonterra spokesperson Charles Ferguson says it's trying to do better. Regarding the communication, um, I, I would like to acknowledge that it hasn't been perfect. Right? And I guess that um, we are taking steps now to try and give our farmers more certainty uh, in the coming days. And, and hopefully that um, takes one thing off their plate from a planning perspective. Charles Ferguson says Fonterra is working to restore access to farms as quickly as possible. Oranga Tamariki Management have conceded an array of failings by its predecessor agencies at today's hearing of the Royal Commission of Inquiry into Abuse and Care. Addressing survivors and commissioners, its chief executive, Chapi Thikani, spoke for nearly an hour and spent almost 10 minutes listing wrongs done between 1950 and 1999. I also acknowledge that, that the impacts of this abuse and neglect are ongoing for survivors and their families. The care and protection system failed to stop abuse. Chappi Tikani says the state failed to meet children's basic needs, including cultural needs. Oranga Tamariki has acknowledged that because of poor data collection, the true number of Māori and Pasifika who have been in state care will never be known. Cabinet papers show ministers approved plans a year ago to reunite families separated by the border, but later dropped the idea. Government figures show about 14,000 partners and children were among those waiting to see their families in July last year, Jill Bonnet reports. 
Cabinet agreed to change border settings but delayed the decision for a month to see if managed isolation would cope. Then in September, ministers decided the one-off residence visa would instead allow families to be reunited. But many of those families continue to wait. Six out of ten people have not had a decision on residence applications. An immigration adviser who's lobbied for changes, Katie Armstrong, says that in many cases, split families' applications have taken longer than other people's. A school attendance campaign has been launched by the government today. Attendance has been gradually declining across the board since 2015. Mohamed Alafeshet reports. The Every School Day is a Big Day campaign has been announced today by the Associate Education Minister, Jan Tenety. She says that partly because of COVID, only 40% of children now go to school regularly. Ms Tenety wants to see that percentage lifted to 70% in 2024 and 75% in 2025. She also wants the proportion of students who are chronically absent reduced from 7.7% in 2021 to 5% in 2024. Earlier this year, the government announced it was committing $88 million to initiatives aimed at getting students to attend school regularly. The Superfund says it'll be up to the Crown now as to how far it wants to develop Kiwi Bank. The government is taking control of the bank, buying out the Superfund, ACC and NZ Post to ensure continued total New Zealand ownership. The fund had offered to buy out NZ Post's 53% stake, which would have given it 78% control, but the government wouldn't agree to the involvement of private money and governance. The fund's chief executive, Matt Winneray, says it's been in reinvesting earnings since 2017, but it'll be up to the Crown how much capital it wants to inject. So there's a, there's a decision in there for the bank and the shareholders of the bank, in this case now the Crown, as to what, what pace they want to, um, they want to grow the bank at. Matt Winneray says the shareholders had been talking about changes since last year's lockdowns ended. It's six minutes past 12. The chief ombudsman says it's unacceptable prisoners could be seen on CCTV while undressing, showering and going to the toilet. Peter Bosher has made the comments in a just-released report on an unannounced inspection of the Otago Corrections Facility in 2020. Leah Tebbett reports. Judge Boshia says at a minimum men should be able to carry out their ablutions with some privacy. He's labelled the situation completely inappropriate, noting some of the prisoners are under the age of 18. However, it's a matter he continues to find in corrections facilities. Judge Boshia also raised concerns at the use of force at the prison, including pepper spray. He says over half of the prisoners in a survey had felt unsafe in the prison. The report was published today after pandemic-related delays. Russian investigators say the car bomb attack presumably targeted at the far-right ideologue Alexander Dugin, but which killed his daughter instead, was planned and commissioned. Mr Dugin escaped assassination as he had switched vehicles with her after an event outside Moscow. The BBC's Will Vernon reports. Daria Dugina, like her father, was a vocal supporter of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and they have both been sanctioned by the West. The authorities have not yet said who was behind the attack, but officials here are already speculating about who was to blame. Car bombs and assassinations are rare in Moscow, but incidents like this will make officials here nervous. As the war in Ukraine grinds on, the potential for instability at home will be a cause for concern in the Kremlin.
Two ram raids in Wellington overnight could be linked. After both burglaries were reported within minutes of each other, the police found two vehicles believed to be connected to the crimes abandoned in Newtown. Rosie Gordon reports. The police say the first burglary was reported at 3.48 at a convenience store in Onepu Road, Lyle Bay. They say a vehicle was used to break into the store where items were stolen by multiple offenders. The second burglary was reported just after 4am at a liquor store in Main Road, Tower. The police say a vehicle was also used to gain entry there and items, including liquor, were stolen. They'd like to hear from anyone who saw a silver Mazda Atenza or a grey Toyota Aqua in the vicinity of Onepu Road or Main Road around 4 this morning. A live music operator in Dunedin says urban intensification is killing the local music sector. The City Council recently approved an application for apartments to be built next to the Crown Hotel. But a spokesperson for the lobby group Save Dunedin Live Music, David Bennett, says he fears people living in the apartments will complain about the noise from the Crown. He says some venues have closed down in the past. There's also a lot who have limited or changed the way that they approach live music uh, because of things like noise complaints, because of the growing city putting uh, pressure on them. David Bennett says the Crown is nearly the only pub left for bands to play at. The council has agreed to review planning rules regarding inner city noise. That's the news.